Hello everyone, welcome to Word with Dave Clay. So I have a kid. He's not a kid anymore. And this, <laughs> this is how you know your kid's not a kid anymore. He's talking to me about girls and dating. But he's not talking to his mom. He does sometimes about those issues. Probably it's one of those things where he thinks, at least he considers where he's going to get the best answer. He's a pretty smart guy. So some things he gets from his mom, some, thing he, some things he gets from me. Uh, we try to do our best to be <laughs> good counselors. However, a situation came up where he came to me and basically was doing just that, talking about guy things and <laughs> at least what he considered to be uh, direct the best, again, the best answer toward me. Uh, and it was about girls and in particular girls dating. And uh, he'd had a struggle with this. Actually, my wife had come to me previous to the, prior to the conversation previously and had already mentioned, what's wrong with Sam? Got a problem. How do you know? I said, well, she says, well, you can tell. He just seems not himself. He's not as, I don't know, happy. He doesn't seem to be as energized. Um, just kind of keeping to himself. And so she'd mentioned that, but we didn't know what it was. I said, well, I don't know what it was. I don't know what it is. And basically, we just kind of left it at that. Eventually, he came to me and told me about this <laughs> issue with girls. And he and I had our talk, and he said, well, don't tell mom. I said, okay, I won't. And so I tried to help. I thought I helped. It didn't help immediately. But he's working through it, and things have gotten better. That's good news. But somewhere along the way, my wife came back to me and said, did you ever figure out what was going on with Sam? I said, yeah. She says, what was it? I said, I can't tell you. And she says, why? Because uh, he told me to keep it a secret. She says, I won't tell him you told me. I'm your wife. I'm his mom. And that's all true. And I think what she was trying to infer was she was going to protect the information. She was going to keep it confidential. I could trust her. And yes, generally speaking, she believes in protecting information and keeping it confidential, especially when the person says, don't. <laughs> don't tell anybody. But at the same time, though, she thought I was going to share it with her because she was worthy. <laughs> and she wasn't going to tell anybody else. However, <clears throat> being the ethical person I am, and uh, with that, <laughs> at least striving for integrity in my life, professionally and personally, I said, uh-uh, I'm not going to tell you. And I didn't. So goes confidentiality. So goes protecting personal information. But at times, <laughs> we don't always know just that. The virtue and character of the person we're talking to. Now, I knew my wife wasn't going to do anything to harm him. And to some extent, she was going to keep it a secret and it would have never gotten out. And maybe it was all about me and him. But if it meant anything to me at the moment, 
when I had that chance to tell her what I knew, uh, I wasn't going to tell her because that's how important it is. Not only the confidentiality and protecting another person's very private information, but it's also trust. And I would not want to destroy it in any way, shape, or form by credibility. Because there may be other things that are bigger or more entangled, complicated, or just something that means is significant in other ways that I can't maybe even at this particular moment, as I'm discussing it, imagine. But I don't want to destroy my credibility with him. I want him to know he's got somebody he can come talk to. Psychology Today, August of 2022. A question of confidants. Whom should you, <clears throat> excuse me, and should not tell by Wendy Patrick, JD, PhD. Confiding secrets can be cathartic and liberating and may reduce emotional distress. It affords me one an opportunity to talk through painful problems or traumatic memories. It affords one an opportunity to talk through painful problems or traumatic memories. But whom do you tell? Because secrets by nature are personal and sometimes painful. Having confidence in your confidant is key. However, Seeking an audience that is both receptive and reliable, as well as attentive and trustworthy, is easier said than done. When sharing information, casual acquaintances are probably not your first choice. And long gone is the stranger on a train, someone we, may never, we never expected to see again. Nowadays, you meet people in Uber pools and you connect via LinkedIn. Consider the people you know. If you can envision one or more candidates, then you have an excellent support system. Then again, you may have such a delicate secret that no one comes to mind. The personality traits of the trusted. In previous research, most variations with respect to interpersonal behavior and experience was reflected in what are described as two higher level domains extroversion and agreeableness. Research in the Personality and Social Psychology Bulletin explored the question of what types of people we are most likely to confide in. The study focused on the traits of compassion, politeness, enthusiasm, and assertiveness. The researchers asked participants about secrets others had confided in them. The categories included infidelity, being sexually assaulted, abortion, having an STD, sexual orientation, engaging in physical abuse, dealing with mental illness, having a drinking problem, drug abuse, other addictions, losing a large sum of money, cheating at work on finances, committing a crime, religious beliefs. The traits that positively predicted how many secrets the study participants were told were compassion and assertiveness. The traits that negatively predicted how many secrets they were told were enthusiasm and politeness. 
participants' traits match what, with what others had confided in them. Breaking down these personality traits, both compassion and politeness are related to agreeableness, but the traits have different definitions. Compassion is described as empathy and desire to help, and politeness as concern with social norms and social rules. Both assertiveness and enthusiasm are related to extroversion. But these traits are also defined differently. Assertiveness is described as having the agency and drive to help, whereas enthusiasm is positive sociality. Many people might be reluctant to share information with an extroverted friend, the proverbial life of the party, and be more comfortable with someone more serious, less gregarious. People usually feel most comfortable confiding in compassionate, assertive individuals, but only you can evaluate your support system. If you decide to share, make sure you exercise caution with discretion and discernment. Again, a question of confidence, whom you should and should not tell, by Wendy Patrick, J.D., Ph.D., author of the book Red Flags. Psychology Today, August of 2022. So, if you have a best friend, do you tell them or don't? Do you somehow measure, in some ways, um, what is a secret, something needing told, shared, that you would want some input from another or maybe just want to be able to tell another. What you tell them, what you don't tell them. Do you practice discretion? Are there some things you would tell this person but not? Or some things you would tell this person but not that person or maybe that person but not the former? And is that based on whether you can trust them? what your read is, and maybe not only trust them as in some of the other uh, highly desired qualities of being non-judgmental, does speak in the article to agreeableness, which means, I believe, accepting, not necessarily accepting without some sense of input into value or worth of whatever it is they're being asked to agree to or accept. But it does mean, though, regardless, as the author pointed out, it's not the person, the confidant, it's not their job to judge it and their job to determine what you should do about it even. And maybe that is, again, part of the reason why you want to talk to them. But agreeableness is also receptivity. Measured as with, well, they're not going to at least immediately in judgment or some sort of other measure of whether they think it's right or wrong, condemn you. They're going to accept you unconditionally. Now, as much as, again, <laughs> my job as a psychological counselor uh, requires me to be ethically <laughs> non-judgmental. And affirming. And in that, unconditional. Uh, not that there would not be, again, some measure of right or wrong, or that I am not 
able to offer an opinion or prevented from offering opinions. I just need to state them. It's an opinion, but I also need to as much overtly state, <laughs> give disclosure, it's an opinion. I need to, in at least attitude and practice, demonstrate. Uh, not only am I someone who's not going to judge, not only am I someone who has ethical <laughs> considerations, I'm also going to be with that authentic and genuine. I'm not going to be so concerned about telling you what you want to hear or what is the, I guess, the polite thing to say, then I'm not going to share what I believe to be the truth. But I'm not going to force it on you and I'm not going to force you to do it. And certainly I'm not going to condemn you if you don't. And I think with that, there may be a bit of an inherent personality dimension that this article is trying to capture. And certainly assertiveness is one of those, I think, characteristics of hopefully a um, good therapist, psychological counselor, and one that otherwise would practice empathy, which, as the article pointed out, were the two most positive of personality traits when it came to willingness for participants to share or confide. And certainly assertiveness is as much a learned skill as it is personality. And truly then with that, the idea of compassion, you can learn a bit of that. But I also think more introverted persons <laughs> are going to be probably themselves a little more empathetic than extroverts in that they understand. There's some data and some information that once it gets out there in certain individuals, persons, hands, as they used to say, is not going to be either well dealt with when it comes to your feelings, if you're the, the person who's sharing the information, and could end up harming you if it's not practiced, at least the element of discretion is not practiced even as much as you should have practiced it in terms of trying to figure out who you're going to talk to. Introverts are going to know because they're going to be at least as much concerned about feelings as an extrovert might be in that they may not have that level of sensitivity. They're not going to maybe have the ability to put themselves in your shoes. I'm not saying that they don't. But all of them don't, but I would say probably the more you went to extreme extroversion, <laughs> even such maybe sociopathy where you really don't have much in the way of conscience or empathy operating, there's no regard or very, 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 very little regard for the impact of repeating that secret. And with that, it's a bit... I don't know, discouraging, dissuading to the person who really doesn't want the whole world to know or, again, understands at some level themselves the possibility or maybe even if it's exaggerated, the potential to get harmed, it's theirs. 
<laughs> if they don't want to share it, maybe they have some sort of inferiority complex or maybe they're hypersensitive in some way because of some past experience where they've been hurt and you know they've become somewhat fixated saying, well, you know, it's just I have this problem and you know I want to hide it from people, but they at the same time want to figure it out and share it with somebody and Maybe they need to, to practice it a bit, getting over it or working through it, not hiding it. So you don't want to go out in public naked you know, without at least some protective covering. And extroverts seem to have no shame. <laughs> Maybe that's what we're talking about. There's always some element of shame this all comes to. But as your psychological counselor, my job would not be, would never be, would not be inclined to, would not incline me to. There's ethical considerations very much so against me shaming you. There's no value in that. But others may not hold it in such high regard. And then in terms of inherent personality, if you've got somebody that doesn't have a filter, they probably are somebody who either never learned the lessons of shame for whatever reason, are immune to that. Um, maybe they're an open book. They wear their feelings and their emotions on their sleeve. Uh, there's no secrets. <laughs> Hard to believe. There's probably always a secret somewhere out there. But again, some people don't have many. And whatever they have, they're usually of the type <laughs> in terms of politeness. Getting back to this idea of what it is to be polite, uh, social norms and rules, as the article puts it, being too concerned about that. Extroverts don't seem to be concerned about any of that. That doesn't mean they're wrong, nor does it mean that they're better. It just means they're going to handle the information differently in wounded people. And that's another one of those things. All of us at some level have been wounded Maybe that's what makes them extroverted or why they tend to only be preoccupied with certain pieces of protected information or secrets, uh, not revealing them, sharing them, because they've just learned you've got to keep those under tight lock and key and nobody gets access to that. Uh, and with that then, they've just thrown away the key. <laughs> It's like narcissists. They just throw away the key. They just are out there so much so they can't even read themselves. But again, introverts tend to be not only less concerned about politeness, but they're maybe hypersensitive to the dimension of trying to conform. So much so that they don't really get a chance once more, to make maybe really intimate connections with others. The article kind of goes in that direction as well. It doesn't call them a social butterfly. It basically says, uh, in some ways, the life of the party, proverbial life of the party. But introverts aren't usually considered the life of the party, but they do desire some measure of connecting. And to that extent, they're going to be much more cautious. They're going to proceed much more cautiously. It's going to be more measured. Uh, 
<laughs> not this bull in the china shop sort of idea. But again, I don't want to go so far into saying one or the other is better and probably to some extent too, you could also say introversion and extroversion are sort of opposites. But it's always when you've got that sort of dichotomization, binary thinking going on, it's probably always healthiest to at least try to move toward the middle, not only for the sake of connecting with other people, but showing proper regard and even if it isn't your base personality, <laughs> to be either all out there with very little hidden, <laughs> naked, without shame, or to be one who's a little more modest. Or maybe some are so modest or so concerned that they really don't ever show much of themselves. They kind of keep it all under lock and key in that proverbial way that everything, not just a particular part, as with the comment earlier in the podcast about, you know, those that maybe verge on sociopathy or narcissism, maybe they're too concerned, as I mentioned also earlier, maybe they're just hypersensitive about everything. Everything runs the risk then of harm or judgment. And that's based most likely on not only inherent personality, genetic. I think personality has always a bit of a genetic component. There's much, much, much to be said for socialization, though. And those folks likely have come through something of a childhood or um, during really those most important developmental stages of youth with somebody who's either shamed them <laughs> or judge them harshly, or embarrass them in some measure or way. And we want them to come out of their shell. <laughs> now, I don't know, again, if it's always to the point of disregard completely, uh, not that you could even get that person to that place, or again, with those who seem to have no regard, <laughs> move them toward more um, concern, uh, sensitivity, uh, modesty. But the calibration of that, either interpersonally as between others or intrapersonally as within themselves, usually is the challenge of psychological counseling. And with me, I'm the foil. Now, my confession is, is that I've learned to be somewhat extroverted. By nature, I think I probably fall more in the category of introversion. And though I am a bit enthusiastic and I want to be polite, I'm not so enthusiastic or polite to be so concerned about social norms and rules that I would be in of itself unable to go to the deeper places, to go to the places of some, I don't know what call it, deviance. It sounds like it has a stigma attached to it, but a lot of people see it that way. But it's just being different. It's being unique. It's being you. So, in that way, you didn't really have to teach me much about enthusiasm. Not enthusiasm, but empathy. Uh, and though I am, again, somewhat enthusiastic and polite, I've had to sort of learn that, if those are measures of some extroversion, at least to the extent that I could begin to open up myself and model some of what 
I am in the clinical context going to ask a patient to do. And that is to open up and trust me. If they're introverts, I'm going to ask them to be a little bit more extroverted. If they're too extroverted to the point where they have no regard, in fact, again, causes interpersonal and maybe not as much, but I think definitely when you lose your conscience, you've kind of created a bit of not only sociopathy, but you begin to really not care for yourself properly. Even if you don't see it as that, you put yourself in situations and circumstances where you know, there's no regard for other people's feelings, there's no regard for yours, you're going to get hurt along the way. You know, how much pain can you endure psychologically? I don't know. Maybe a true sociopath or narcissist, a little bit lesser version of that impaired lack of conscience or social awareness. Maybe they don't get hurt by anything. I don't think that's true. But certainly your ability to love would be greatly challenged if love is a measure of, again, unconditional regard, being accepting, uh, relatable, uh, agreeable at some measure or level with other people, um, but also loving yourself, interpersonal. So probably even extroverts, I do some sensitivity training. Certainly people who manifest those extremes of abusing people, as the list was given earlier, those are pretty sociopathic sort of activities. Infidelity uh, certainly is one. Engaging or dealing, engaging in physical abuse, I believe that that would mean the person basically has done something to somebody else. Drug abuse, addictions, uh, cheating at work, committing a crime, all of those things would maybe go to that extreme. I don't know if it's always extroversion, but in the way we're discussing in the podcast, if it implies a lack of conscience, maybe. But the others, being sexually assaulted, abortion, having an STD, uh, dealing with mental illness, having a drinking problem, uh, losing a large sum of money, religious beliefs, that may go to the introversion side. So I'm going to be constantly trying to determine who you are and with that begin to example or model what it is that I'm asking you to do. Now again, that's for the sake of relatability, but it's also for the sake of socialization, exampling. And though you're older, you're not a child, I, I work with kids, so some of them are still in those developmental stages where personalities being formed and how they're addressing the world and maybe the idea that once personality gets established, it's harder to change. But nonetheless, before it really gets solidified in such the way that it becomes harder to change, that's easier for me to do. But I work with a lot of adults and I do that with adults. I still try to socialize them. I try to give them feedback, not to the extent of just politeness, or just in some enthusiastic way. Well, you, you, just, you just have to always be agreeable and get along. No. Be authentic and genuine. If you're going to be agreeable, lead with empathy. It's not just object relations or transactional. It's very interpersonal, especially if it's moving closer to levels of intimacy. 
Social butterflies are not going to. Those extrovert types, those people that might lean a little bit too far toward that side of the continuum, they're probably not going to be as respective of not only intimacy, but love, or not only love in that sort of intimate dimension, but they're not going to be trustworthy. They're not going to be the one that you can say, oh, I really believe you're not going to tell other people or that you're not going to use this against me or you're not going to disclose it in such a way somebody else can use it against me. And it maybe suggests too that even doing that engenders intimacy. And that's what really is required in the psychological counseling situation, a degree of trust and intimacy. There's a measure of me being your confidant. Once more, it's all protected as well by the ethical boundaries and definitions. But the people who do it best, the people who probably get in less trouble in some ways with those ethical constraints, at least to the end of not overtly or in some sort of obvious way harming those that come with those secrets, those that come needing to share it with someone and in their more natural social environment can't identify that person. Maybe they've come from such a, again, dysfunctional social network or system that they've just never really had the chance. Maybe they've been so shut off or become so introverted out of the harm or the hurt that they've never really been able to test it any, open up any, share themselves in that way with anyone intimately toward that end of unconditional acceptance, validation, affirmation. I want to encourage them. <laughs> I take that very seriously, but I also want to encourage them because I example it. It's not as difficult for me on that side. But in the same sort of way, if I were to be at risk of getting in trouble, it's probably that I connect so much so that sometimes it's hard to just walk away from someone and say, I can't help you anymore. And it's not that patients are wrong for desiring to pull me into their personal and more intimate lives, but I know where my boundaries are. And if I go there and lose that objectivity or the professional identity, then I'm in trouble as well. And that's something that I've learned not only to watch out for and to be aware of where those boundaries are and how not to cross the line into some form of dual relationship, that's what we call it in the industry. It's just not good for you as much as it's not ethical. So I am going to remain somewhat distanced or aloof. We can't have the same intimacy that you might have with a, a significant other as in a very personal dimension alone. But at the same time, though, I'm going to example everything that I know how to example in terms of relatability. But that's where I've learned to be an extrovert. <laughs> Because I example assertively that genuineness or that authenticity that I'm asking you to try. To at least try to encourage you to practice in the counseling scenario. Because if we can get there and you have that assurance that I'm not judgmental 
Or if I am, it's with appreciation for where you've been and where you are on that continuum of extroversion to introversion, openness to being closed, uh, conscience to maybe having your conscience somewhat rattled. Uh, that's my job. And I suppose for the sake of the podcast and anything I might offer you in a general sort of way, my listeners, it's just know that we're aware of that and that we're not disregarding of that. And that's, if not highest priority, a very, very top-level priority, even as with the relationship. As the author put it, there are some higher-level domains. <laughs> and that's what I'm trying to capture. Now, this author was an attorney, and that's what her JD is, Doctorate of Jurisprudence, I believe is the word. But she's also a PhD, and I'm not sure that that is in psychology. I'm believing that it might be since she's in the journal Psychology Today. And she's speaking to personality traits and psychological sort of context. But I'm sure if it's only left to her being an attorney, that's really the hallmark of an attorney's relationship with their client. Confidentiality is preserved at all costs because there's no way that you can really help someone unless they tell you everything. So for the sake of some concurrent validity, cross-validation, I'm a counselor, not a counselor at law. I'm a psychological counselor, but in that same way, I can't help you until you trust me enough. But I have to example what, practice what I'm preaching. I have to example what it is that I'm asking you to do, not only for the sake of educating, but for the sake of demonstrating. And I talk about it, and I show it, and give you a chance to talk, and to show, and you get better at that. But in the same sort of way, you get better at discerning, being discretionary, discriminatory, in a good sort of way, outside of the professional relationship of psychological counseling. Hopefully you're not talking to an attorney about a matter such as would require that level of confidentiality just for the sake of not being in trouble with the law. But on a personal level, you'll be able to at least know who you can be that personal with. And if it is such that you can't with your significant other, maybe you could teach them <laughs> what you've learned. Maybe you can begin to evidence that. Socialize them in a better way than what they grew up in a better model or with a better paradigm. And maybe that'll enhance not only your relationship and that sort of love dimension, but I'm sure that you'll be of better ability to assist them with problems. Uh, you don't need to come see a psychological counselor for every little problem that comes up. Uh, if I do my job well, I want to equip you so that you don't. It doesn't mean that there isn't a benefit or need, but why should you stay in therapy forever? Uh, if you're not learning how to do this for yourself, then I'm not doing the best I can do, which is to empower you, to equip you to do what I'm doing with those that are more naturally part of your social world. 
to do it not only intrapersonally inside of yourself, have these kind of conversations, to do that well to the end of intimacy and self-love, self-care, but the ones that really matter, and as you make that determination who's on the inner circle or within the inner circle, and as that circle expands to the more superficial, who are the social butterflies of your world? And those are the ones that you really don't share those personal intimacies with. Can they maybe become a member of the inner circle? Yes, but they probably need to show you in some way. They're worthy of that. The relationship needs to be built, constructed within some dimension of time, but also just experience to validate that, yes, they can be trusted. Yes, you can tell them these really, really powerful sort of details of your life. Powerful in the sense that they have not only potential for impact, but they have impacted had had effect on you, who you are as a person, how you relate to other people. But again, that's what psychological counseling is for. So, the oddity of all this is, is that you have to be both. It's not just extroversion, but I guess we measure introversion in contrast to extroversion, and I think that's what the way the approach that the article took it. But instead of just talking about it in generic terms such as confidentiality or, you know, from a psychological standpoint, also intimacy, um, that kind of really, really highest order of relationship um, with all these considerations, factors taken into consideration, uh, I would say that that may be also introversion. But there's the chance that you could go too far in either direction and probably will always have some need for or some action toward balancing it all out. The good news is once you learn the basic skill set and you become somewhat skilled and accomplished, you get some drive seat time as far as driving the car. You become familiar with the real life sort of applications and get some practice in, uh, you may not have to think too much about it and with that be able to flow most smoothly in and out of it. As, as for me, I'm always aware of it because there's always that risk and uh, I am bound to and committed to personally, professionally, those ethical standards. But you don't have to be on the clock all the time. So I agree with, I think, the basic tenets of the article, A Question of Confidants, Whom You Should or Should Not Tell, by Wendy Patrick, J.D., Ph.D., Psychology Day, August of 2022. And once more, I want to remind you, my podcast listener, <laughs> you're listening to Word with Dave Clay. And once again, I hope this information is useful. I don't always say or add this part, but if you should need help or assistance, identify those individuals that are licensed, qualified, certified, sanctioned to provide you the assistance uh, in your area and go get the help. 
if you should need assistance in finding somebody, we'll do whatever we can on this side of it. Psychology Today actually offers a directory of providers and uh, you can go to their directory just by going in and typing in Psychology Today and list of providers will come up or at least the button or the tab for a list of providers directory will come up and you can go through and take a look at them. And some of them only have pictures. I think some actually uh, do a bit of a video chat with you. It's pre-recorded, but you get a little bit of a sense of their personality. But the primary message here is anything I can do to help you in that way, I'd be glad to do it. That's what the podcast is all about. But the more basic message is in order for you, when I wish you good health and good mental health, in order for you to maintain that, you not only go see your doctor, but if you have a difficulty in, in psychological terms and feel like you need somebody, don't hesitate. Find somebody. Make sure they're qualified. Make sure they're licensed. But access them. And I'm sure you won't regret it. In the meantime, again, good health, good mental health, and would like to invite you back to the next podcast of Word with Dave Clay.